My name is Gunner, and I play in a local Austin band called The Big Gun Show. I created this podcast to sit down with other songwriters, musicians, artists, and lovers of music to talk about their top five records that have inspired their lives and musical prowess. All right. I've about had enough. COVID, get the hell out. I'm done with you. You're killing us. Killing all of us musicians, songwriters, artists, all of us, restaurateurs, live music venue owners, everything. I mean practically everyone. And why you got to be like this? I mean, you started off by giving me some inspiration. I took five days off and told myself I'd write two songs a day. I only made eight happen, but uh, we got three onto what we call honky rock. What is it you're asking? That uh, What's honky rock? It's a great question. Uh, as I said two weeks ago in the podcast, my band, The Big Gun Show, uh, is recently out of the studio. Uh, we were there over Labor Day weekend to record our new record, our new album called Honky Rock. Pressing on vinyl side A, honky tonk, flip it over, full on rock and roll. Not exactly sure when we're going to release it, but I can rest assure you one thing, and that's that you're going to dig it. Today is an honor and privilege to have my guest on my Top 5 Records podcast. Mike Flanagan is, in my humble opinion, the best B3 player around. He's playing consistently at Seaboys with Jimmy Vaughn, at least when that COVID dude didn't wreaking havoc on us. And come on, COVID. Leave us alone for a bit, please. Go on. So, yeah, he plays with Jimmy. He's also buds with Billy Gibbons, has performed with ZZ Top, Steve Miller, Eric Clapton, Robert Plant, Willie Nelson, Charlie Sexton, Doyle Two, and Bonnie Raitt. Let's just name a couple few. Actually opened up for him once at our mutual friend Tom Amos's annual party. And one of my favorite stories is how he used to tour as a guitarist with an L.A. band, returned to Austin to join the Antones nightclub house band, and then decided to change instruments and started playing the B3. Uh, he was up in the Northeast. He hooked up with organ leg legend Big John Patton to learn the craft. Hmm. Curious how Big John has a record in Mike's Top 5. Strange. Anyway, um, in 2015, he released his debut record called The Drifter. You should get this. It's incredible. Um, it's got Billy Gibbons, Alejandro Escoveda, Jimmy Vaughn, um, Gary Clark Jr., Cat Emerson. Excellent record. But Rolling, set, Rolling Stone said that Drifter is a road trip worthy record that veers from punk rock to desert pop to Bible Belt blues. It's disparate parts glued together with the swirl and swoon of B3 organ. This is day driving music with Flanagan creating his own version of atmospheric Americana. And just this year, he dropped a brand new record called West Texas Blues. It was born out of his and Sue Foley's Texas Blues party that they streamed live on Facebook during the COVID crisis and pandemic. Uh, they went into the studio as a three-piece, just Sue, Mike, and Chris, the whipper Layton of Double Trouble. Um, I quote Flanagan saying about this record, As much as I labored over the Drifter album, which took me three years to make, and I had a lot of different types of genres and people and guests, and this was the exact opposite. This was, let's go in and do what we do and play the blues. That's what we've been doing our entire lives, our whole lives, is what he said. Um, and I was driving back from Houston just the day before yesterday, and I thought, hey, I'm going to put it on, you know. We're going to be doing this podcast. Well, I did, and there was a problem because I couldn't take it off. It was it was incredible. If you like the blues, go check it out. All-star cast, blues legends, kicking out an homage to some Texas music blues. 
So get out there. Support music. Support the artists that make you groove. Allow those who create to keep creating. Get out there. Go online. Buy Flanagan's new record. While you're at it, pick up The Drifter as well. We need to support our local community and our artists. Um, So we did talk today or in the podcast, about how he knew Lazy Lester and how Texas music is for dancers. We also talked about how Billy Gibbons plays on seven strings, and that shows how how much um, how awesome his touch is, and how he knows professional card tricks. This was literally a history lesson for me. So let's get to the conversation. But first, close your eyes. You're stranded on a desert island. What five records do you have? All right. Ladies and gentlemen, we have an awesome, incredible podcast for you today. Uh, today, we're talking to Mike Flanagan. Hello, Mike. Hey, what's happening? And by the way, you sound great. Whatever your setup is, that, that sounds incredible, by the way. You're, really? Yeah, it does. Wow. It sounds probably Good. Better, better than mine does. Um, <laughs> but so I have a story to tell you, and I think you're going to like it because I was going to see my dad in Houston uh, this weekend. On Sunday, I was driving back, and I said, I'm going to put on Mike's album, and I'm going to listen to it. And I couldn't turn it off. You have this new album out called West Texas Blues that is insanely awesome. I love it. And I want everybody to go out there and at least listen to it, and then you should buy it. I Um, love it. Tell me about this record, how it came to be, because uh, here's what I've read. I've read that you and Whipper and Sue Foley went into a studio in San Marcos and cut it in four hours with no overdubs. That's true. Yes. So You didn't overdub your vocals or anything? No, it was all cut live in the same room, all right next. We set up like it was a gig. So Chris was in the center. Sue was on one side. I was on the other side with the B3 and and the vocal mic. And we just, it was very um, unthought out in the sense that uh, uh, we cut that in June. I forget exactly what day it was, but... uh, I think mid June, mid June. And it was out on July 24th. I mean, we cut it and it was done and it was mixed and done in three days. I mean, they mixed it in a day, like the third day he mixed it. We recorded it in a day. So the whole span of everything was three days, but there was really no thought on that album in the sense that, um, I wasn't really thinking about making an album exactly. It had been five five years since I made The Drifter, and that was a huge production. It took me probably three years to make that record. Um, but what we were doing was we were all bored, and we all uh, wanted to play. We felt like, you know, how musicians are like athletes, you know, use it or lose it. And we wondered if we were losing it. So the only place to play really was in the studio. And... Um, we went to the fire station in San Marcos with my engineer that I've worked with a lot, Chris Bell. And we just set up in the same room. It's, it's a huge room. So it's, I really like a, a live room sound. Yeah. And um, I didn't even know what we were going to play. You know, I just called off songs and we just played them, you know, uh, not even stuff that we played before in, in a lot of senses as a group. Or maybe there was things I had never played, like the title track, West Texas Blues. I, I, that wasn't something I did all the time. But um, we recorded, and then when I listened back 
to it. Uh, I thought it sounded good. And I thought, well, this is an album. I'll put this out. So that's, it was, pre it was pretty simple. Yeah, but it's, it, it is full on blues. It's, it, again, I couldn't take it out. I couldn't, I mean, it's not like I had a CD of it. I was listening to it on, on Spotify, but yeah. the thing was, I couldn't turn it off. I was just like, it came back around. I was like, yeah, I, I gotta listen to this again. So uh, oh, good. all you guys out there, please, please support your, 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 your local musicians or, or, b3 players like mike because uh, <laughs> mike i mean I, i'm gonna say it i mean I, I think that you're you're the best b3 player I, that i know oh well good well you may only know one but uh, <laughs> actually i know quite a few of buck <laughs> album and uh, oh i love bucca yeah Bucca. he's great i mean the the thing is is like on west texas blues what you hear is what we do like if you saw us at sea boys playing that would be what you heard basically it's dance music those are all songs by lightning hopkins lightning slim and and um you know smoky smothers and the nightcaps mm -hmm. and these are all songs that are kind of in our blood whether we play them all the time or not um and there's shuffles and slow blues and it's just what we do so it wasn't hard to just go in and do it it's it's what we do all the time in a way yeah no no doubt all right so well, thanks thanks yeah, for saying no that. it's 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 an amazing album and it's like i'm, I'm you know I, I i study keith richards but you know he studied those guys so yeah they're the foundation of everything all right so uh mike i do have a question for you uh we're actually i want sure. to list off your uh your albums first so okay the five records that you've chose today are hop wilson's uh houston ghetto blues formerly known as steel guitar flash yeah uh, Babyface willette uh face to face big john porter yep. along came john big, big like, john Patton. oh Patton. John what did i say yeah oh, i said porter porter Sorry. but it's Patton. Yeah. yeah um and Lightning Slim, Rooster Blues, loved it. Yeah. And then ZZ Top, Deguelo. Uh, yeah. I, I cannot wait to talk to you about this stuff. Now, so your your choices, once I went back and listened to them and started doing some research, didn't really surprise me as much as some other people. Well, I and of course, like all of us, there's probably, you know, there's lots we could talk about. But I would say there's six or seven or eight, you know, that I've listened to you know, since I started playing basically and, and before that I've just come back to all the time. I mean, I listen to these albums, not every day, but I would say every week, you know? Yeah. I, and I, I have understand. been for, for decades. So when you asked what's your top five, it, it wasn't hard at all in the sense that I'm like, <laughs> what's the stuff that I have been listening to for decades? And uh, for reasons that, um, you know, maybe none of us know what, what, why we like something. Uh, these particular ones have a certain magic that I connect with personally. There's something that I get out of these albums that goes beyond that. They're just great. It's a great album. It's great music. It's great playing. There's something else that I connect with that goes beyond that, you know? Definitely. So let's start off with uh, Big John Patton's Along Came John. 1963 okay. on Blue Note Records. Okay, so here's the deal. So on my way down to Houston, I was listening to a podcast with Rick Rubin called, I think it's called Broken Record. I think it's what it's called. 
Uh-huh. And he was interviewing Don Was, who is now president of Blue Note Records. All right. I noticed yeah. that you have two Blue Note Records on your on your list of, t- of top five. Well, as far as organ playing and and um, those kind of records, there were really two labels, Blue Note and Prestige. And they were all recorded at Rudy Van Gelder's studio in uh, uh, Inglewood Cliffs, New Jersey. Um, they had a night, they had a Hammond C3. I actually did a recording there myself and Rudy Van Gelder recorded it. This was a long time ago, probably around the year 2000. So I've been in there and uh, they recorded all these albums in that studio on that B3, all the different terrific uh, legendary jazz organ players and big John Patton and, and Babyface Warlet were two of the, those legendary players that came after Wild Bill Davis and after the explosion of, of Jimmy Smith. And so after Jimmy Smith came out on Blue Note and hit the scene, you know, people started other guys that were piano players, you know, not necessarily organ players. There was a mad rush to play the B3 because there was a B3 in every bar. Um, it just, it was a massive explosion that we can't really fully understand today. Um, but those B3s needed to be played by, played by people. So these, these are two of the guys that came up really in that first post-Jimmy Smith wave of players um, who had not necessarily been playing organ for that many years. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe, maybe three years right. they had been playing organ. They, they were piano players. I mean, Big John Patton was a piano player in Lloyd Price's band. Right. And Ben Dixon, who plays drums on um, Along Came John, Mm-hmm. Uh, he played drums in Lloyd Price's band. So he felt that John Patton had a really good left hand to play organ bass. And so he encouraged him to do so. And uh, I became friends with John Patton. He was the guy that really taught me how to play organ. I was such a huge fan of his. And I lived in Texas. These guys were all from the Northeast. They all, you know. That was the main jazz B3 territory. Yep. You know, Newark, New Jersey, and New York, and, and Pittsburgh, and Columbus, Ohio, those places. So um, when I started playing Oregon, I went uh, and found Big John. He was living in Montclair, New Jersey. And he, you know, I would live with him on the weekends and visit him a lot. I, I was living in Boston for a short time. And so we became good friends and he really taught me how to play the organ. But when I showed up at his house, you know, I was a huge fan. I knew all his records and I could approximate his style, you know, in a way. And I think he was kind of blown away by that. So he really took me under his wing. But this album was his first one. Along came John. Yes, it was. And... um he made many, many albums. And over the course of probably eight years or nine years on Blue Note, his playing really progressed and became very, very modern and very influenced by people like John Coltrane um, and McCoy Tyner and those people. 
so his his playing really changed and he he was a phenomenal player and a very advanced harmonically but this album was really blues based this was his very first album he told me he was very nervous when he recorded this and it's just him grant green plays guitar ben dixon plays drums and he has two tenor sax players was kind of unusual but i love it fred jackson and harold vick and this group of players they're like the a-team for this kind of music and um what john plays is very bluesy and very unique stylistically you know and um there's a lot of great jazz organ players larry young and jimmy smith obviously and jack mcduff and jimmy mcgriff and i i got to see a lot of those guys and talk to a lot of those guys they were still alive when i first started playing but uh there's something about the rawness of along came john the way he played and the way that band played it was it was that midland territory between jazz and blues which yeah yeah, used sure. to be used to be a, a genre unto itself and it was very popular i mean now people are considered jazz players or blues players but back then there was a lot of crossover and guys would go from uh you know they might play in james brown's band in the horn section you know for a few months and then they might skip over and play with uh uh you know, Lou Donaldson or somebody right. like that. So uh, there was that Midland territory, which I always found interesting and still do. And that's where these guys were like along came John. That's where it was. Yeah. I, of course I kind of went down a rabbit hole on some of this stuff and, you know, I, I actually read that Ben Dixon was the guy, the drummer there who actually pushed him to go B3 as opposed to stick on the piano. Yes. He, and I knew Ben Dixon, he was alive. He just died fairly recently. And he played on a lot of these legendary sessions that were organ sessions for Blue Note and for Prestige too. Ben Dixon played behind these guys. And there's a certain art to playing drums behind an organ player. Uh, it's not, uh, you could be a great jazz player and not necessarily be a good organ trio player. Mm -hmm. uh, so Ben Dixon was one of the greatest uh, that ever lived at backing up an organ player and connecting with the organ player and pushing the organ player and just playing with a Hammond B3. So uh, all these guys um, were very, um, these players on this album were very attuned to the organ. They knew how to play with an organ player. Okay. And it's, and it's, and it's a real art form, you know, it's a, a real art form to do that. It's, it's not, like playing jazz and it's not like playing blues it's somewhere in between those things yes um so my question to you now is i understand the whole like you know left hand for the bass but i also understand that there's pedals you use pedals right well you use both and who invented that was wild bill davis who was kind of the first jazz organ player in a sense and uh what he realized is that um the way the Hammond organ is built, it has stops to replicate organ pipe lengths, basically, right, right. you know, you're nine foot, 16 foot. So there's nine draw bars to deal with, to get different sounds on the organ. And he realized that if you pulled out the first three and pushed the middle one in a little bit, 
that it really sounded like a bass, right. like a stand-up bass for the left hand. And the foot bass, of course, was ob obviously used in gospel music um, and in, in jazz as well. Um, but it has a real heavy sound. And you, it's really, when you hear those guys play foot pedals, it's very chromatic bass lines because you're not skipping your foot, you know, an octave, right? really, and coming back down. Your hand allows you to make those octaves and, and be more fleet on the bass lines themselves to make it sound like an upright bass or an electric bass. So what you do is you use a combination of the foot pedals and the left hand to complement each other. And that gives you a specific sound that you can't get with just one or the other. Um, yeah, okay. And I've, I've seen all the great organists. They all kind of do it a little differently. Some lean on the pedals more. A guy like Lonnie Smith put, you know, leans on the pedals quite a bit. A guy like Mel Ryan never touched the pedals hardly when I saw him play. So it can, it can, it can be done a lot of diff different ways. Now, that being said, if you played a ballad, you might use your left hand to play chords and play lead lines with your right hand and use all your foot, just okay. use foot foot. Uh, um, and then there's a guy like Milk Buckner who used all foot in a jazz swing setting. I mean, his left foot was amazingly fast, so it could be done, but, um, but it's really a combination of the left hand and the foot. That's the main way to get the sound. You got to have both. I just learned something new. Yeah. I realized it was a combo. It's a combo and it's, uh, hard to, uh, figure out. <laughs> yeah so with grant green playing on this back in like i guess i want to say it was like 95 96 i'd gone to thailand and fallen in love with rock climbing and so i yeah. came back to austin and just obsessed over it and we would go down to mexico to el potreo chico and do some climbing on these big walls they had these like really kind of flaky limestone walls there and I remember yeah. this guy that was a really good climber and a good, good musician. We would, I would take my guitar down there, but he was really into Grant Green. And oh, that's wow. my big story. So I was like, oh, Grant Green played on this. And then I, he played on this one too. So it was, it was nice to see um, something that I appreciate as well when it comes to like the jazz guitar of Grant Green coming into, into Fold With You. I love Grant Green. And matter of fact, probably if I could play like any one musician, it might be Grant Green in a way. Um, John Patton, a lot of his lead work was patterned after what Grant Green was doing on guitar because they played together all the time. And Grant Green was a very advanced jazz player, whereas John Patton was not. So he was learning from Grant Green while they were on the road and playing. And, uh, you know, Grant Green would tell him, like, man, that's not hip. Like he said, him <laughs> and Ben Dixon would really would really be on top of him about what was hip and what was not hip. But Grant Green is the hippest. And, and he's on both of these Oregon albums that I chose. He's on he face to face. So, yeah. Yeah. Both blue nut. Um, yeah. So that's, that's a, I, I love that story of, you know, I read it on your website and I've read it in a couple other places that he kind of took you under his wing. And I think that's just like epic that one of your heroes, you know, you go up and you show yourself and you say, Hey, listen, I know this about you. And then boom, you guys are, our buds and and yeah i mean it's amazing i think without that i don't think i would have continued on i probably wouldn't have been a musician much longer in the sense that um you know when you first start it's hard it's a very difficult instrument 
to learn. And I had everybody telling me that I wouldn't be able to do it. You know, I didn't have a lot of, you know, cheerleaders at that time. <laughs> and Big John really was like, man, you can do this. You know, you can do it. He was a really uh, supportive. He used, we used to run around to the organ clubs that existed at that time up in Harlem. And he would introduce me. I remember he introduced me to George Benson and, Wow. People go, man, this guy's the guy. He's a great organ player. Talking about me. You know, this is John Patton introducing me. It was ridiculous, you know, but he was very supportive. And so after that, I realized, like, if if John Patton thinks I can do it, then I don't care what anybody else says. And because a lot of people for years after that, oh, you're not very good. Uh, Yeah, Flanagan, I don't know about him. But I always knew in the back of my mind, well, if John Patton thinks I'm good enough and thinks I have talent, then I don't really care what anybody thinks, you know. <laughs> Out of boy. <laughs> well, okay, so before we jump into – actually, let's do – let's jump right up into uh, Babyface. Um, another instrumental album, uh, yeah. 1961. Um, and I heard or I read that, you know, after hearing Charlie Parker, he was like, that's what I want to do. Yeah, uh, you know, Babyface Willette is a very mysterious person um, for a lot of reasons. To start off with... Can I, can I he, start off with something real quick? She's also sure. a professional hairdresser. Yes. That was <laughs> something that. that we learned... Well, that was something we learned later. I mean, we didn't know a lot about him. And then, the, you know, fairly recently in the last few years they've dug up more information about it and I love it. Yeah. He, he was a professional hairdresser, <laughs> you know, and, and, and cut hair. And then he would go, you know, play the B3 and he was a very stylish person from all accounts, you know, always dressed sharp, always looked super cool. And he was a small guy, you know, but his parents were, as you probably read, were involved in the church and he was mm-hmm. a gospel player. You know, he went on these gospel tent shows all across the South and he wasn't, I don't know if he was really a jazz, what you would call a jazz person. I know he loved, you know, at this time, you know, early on, but he heard Charlie Parker and, and he heard Shirley Scott, the organist, and, 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 and he heard Jimmy Smith and he heard these people. And uh, he also played church organ in Chicago, I understand. So, um, and learned from a, 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 one of the great church organists in Chicago for a while. So, but he was a mysterious guy. I think he was in St. Louis at the time that uh, Grant Green and Lou Donaldson discovered him. And they took him to New York. And in his first week in New York, he cut three of the greatest albums, Oregon albums ever made. He cut Lou Donaldson's Here Tis. Yeah. He cut Babyface Willette Face to Face. And he cut grant's first stand grant green he cut all those in a week and he had never made a record before and and he just sounded so unique so different from everybody else and he swings so hard and his tone that he gets out of the organ is so wild yeah but man this totally yeah yeah and this guy I mean, to me, when I heard that record and Grant Green's amp sounds like it's kind of blowing up. I mean, it's a really in your face record. And um, it's 
I, I to me it's probably my favorite jazz organ record and that's saying a lot because i love a lot of jazz organ records but um the way they approach this stuff and he does a song called going down which is just a low down blues mm -hmm. you know they're all variations of the blues in a sense there's they a are. song whatever lola wants which is you know more jazzy but he could do it all i mean he can play jazz and it, and he has such a style which is that's the thing i love most about music is someone's style right yeah a lot of a lot of people can play music you know a lot of people are really good at music there's a lot of really talented people um but what i really like is someone's style you know so babyface will let in a in an era where there was a lot of guys playing the hammond organ and trying to figure it out and a lot of them were copying jimmy smith uh, you know, to varying degrees, Babyface Willette just sounded like he wasn't copying anybody. And uh, his bass lines, and he, he would play with his left foot and then comp with his, his left hand at times and switch over. He was very accomplished, you know. And here's a guy, like you said, that was maybe cutting hair during the day, but, yeah. uh, you know, but playing a lot at night. And these guys, they played... Uh, in endless hours on these gigs, you know, yep. from talking to John Patton. I mean, their gigs ran from like eight to four in the morning, seven days a week. They would play a place for two weeks or they would have a residency or so they played a lot. Uh, when I asked John Patton how they got so good, he, you know, and why they played such difficult things sometimes when they, it could have been simpler. He said that they were just so bored they would try to make it hard on themselves. And I'll never forget that. He said, we played so much and you would get so bored that you would just try and do hard things just to entertain yourself. That's, that, I love that. I love that. that I mean, you know? I love the fact that you have that actual insight to that. Yeah, he was a great, you know, he really, knowing him brought, brought me back. And he knew Babyface Willette. He said he visited uh, Babyface's apartment in Chicago once while he was there touring with Lou Donaldson. But Babyface, Willette died very young. Uh, 38. I, I, you know, and for a long time, no one knew whatever happened to him. Because after those Blue Note albums, he went and cut a couple on Argo and was in Chicago playing at a place called the Moroccan Lounge. And uh, he got fired from that gig. He wanted to raise... And I actually met the guy that replaced him. They kept the same drummer and the same guitar player. And this guy, Joe Killian, who was a white Irishman, came in and played in this black bar, the Moroccan Lounge, and actually learned Babyface Willette's songs off the jukebox <laughs> and would play his own songs. And he said that Babyface Willette would come in with his brother, Frank, and they would sit at the bar right in front of him and just stare him down <laughs> so anyway babyface willette was an amazing musician one of my favorites and and a real mystery which you know i love mysteries don't we all uh, who, who doesn't right i mean that's like all my podcasts that i listen to are all like true crime mystery stuff exactly let's move to the blues if that's yep. okay with you um hop wilson yep. okay now <laughs> i love this one um I love the fact that his name Hop, his first name was Harding, but um, he was always, right. a, I guess as a kid, running around with a harmonica and just blowing around. So they started calling him Harp, which yeah. turned into Hop. I know, right? I love the nicknames these guys have. You know? <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Pop Wilson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, born in Grapeland, Texas. Yep. Just and, north of Houston. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, was he a steel guitar player first? You know, I heard he played regular guitar as well. Um, but uh, as far as I know, you know, steel guitar was his game. And he was completely unique in the annals of the blues and uh, very important in a lot of ways. Steel guitar, of course, is prevalent in Texas because of Western swing. So, um, one of my favorite records, it was a 45 or a 78 probably at the time, was on Blue Bonnet in Dallas. And I think it's maybe the most important blues record there is that came out of Texas that people don't know about. It was by a guy named Frankie Lee Sims. And there was a country and Western steel guitar player on it. I don't know who that was. Uh, it was a straight up country and Western steel guitar. And so Frankie Lee Sims was playing low down blues. And this other guy was playing country and Western swing on yep. top of it. And it's the most interesting sound. And so I think what Hop Wilson was doing, it was definitely influenced by Western swing and the steel guitar and also Elmore James. He strictly played blues and he used very uh, odd tunings that people have been trying to figure out for years. He didn't play in standard country and Western tunings. He didn't play in standard open slide guitar tunings. He invented his own tunings. And when you hear him, and the, the way he plays the steel guitar, it's completely unique. And that get, gets back to what we were talking about, style. You know, He had such a unique style, and he had a great singing voice. Yes, he uh, did. Yes, he did. So I've been listening to, um, originally, Hop Wilson. I mean, I picked Steel Guitar Flash, this album. But you have to realize that these were not... The upcoming couple of blues albums I'm talking about, they were never... These were 45s you know, that were cut. And then eventually they were made into albums. But, uh, you know, these things were originally issued as 45 singles. And so um, Hop Wilson's first 45s were on a, uh, out of Lake Charles, Louisiana, a label called Gold Band. And so there's another album called Hop Wilson and Friends where they, they collect the Gold Band 45s, 78s. He does songs like Chicken Stuff, you know, which are amazing. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the style on that is different than the style that was cut in 58. And then in 61, he cut the songs that are included on steel guitar flash in Houston. And his, his sound is a little different. There is a, uh, we don't know much about hop Wilson. He was another very, very mysterious person. There's only one firsthand account I've read about someone going to see hop Wilson. Um, and they saw him in a little nightclub uh, in Houston. And he, they were waiting for him. And they said a very slight man with a limp came walking in. And that was Hop Wilson. He, I think he had been injured in the Korean War. And uh, he was, I mean, I can't explain Hop Wilson's music other than you have to hear it to love it. And the moment I heard it, I loved it. And I have a steel guitar. I've been trying to play like Hop Wilson for many, many, many years. I used to do it early on at Antones, you know, uh, but I, I don't play it live or I don't record or it's just something fun I like to do for myself. But I've been fascinated with Hop Wilson for as long as I can remember. And I listen to this stuff 
all the time, you know? Yeah. Well, I'll tell you who else listens to it is Albert Collins and Ronnie Wood and Johnny Winter because they've been yeah. talking about their, his influence on them. Well, and he did Black Cat Bone, which, you know, I think he was the first person to do it. I, you know, these things have all been, uh, in a way, they come from Blind Lemon Jefferson or different mm -hmm. earlier people, and they've been rearranged. But I think of, of Hop Wilson doing Black Cat Bone, and I think that's where Albert Collins got it. I know they did it on that uh, uh, Showdown album with, uh, with um, uh, Robert Cray and... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Johnny Copeland, you know. I mean, my favorite part about this conversation is everything I'm about to say to you, you always beat me to it. Oh. <laughs> it's great. Well, I love it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if you could, you know, there's just so limited uh, amount of knowledge on on a guy like Hop Wilson that, that uh, you know, it's not hard to know stuff about him because there's only so much. You right. Know? No, I, I totally dug it. It was, um, you know, I mean, it, I, I know that like he was, this is at least what I read and I'm sure you probably know this as well is that, you know, he was like, I don't want to be on the road. I just, he just wanted to play clubs in Houston. He didn't want to, he didn't want to go travel. And so, exactly. you know, and so yeah. he, go ahead. Yeah. He was not widely known, but he's hugely influential. I mean, when we were on the road, um, opening for Eric Clapton, you know, over the last few years, he would, he clapped and played black cat bone, you know, and his steel guitar player would, would cop, you know, hop Wilson and try and do the hop Wilson. So hop Wilson is not very well known, but to the right people, he's very well known. You know? Yeah. Well, that's the same to the stones, right? That's, that's who they, it's like, they, they love Freddie King. They love uh, Moj, um, muddy waters, all that stuff. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, it's just like, I feel like he's one of the, you know, the, the lesser known greats. That's, that's and there's so there's so many of them and texas blues is filled with these guys uh you know some of my favorite people little son jackson and frankie lee sims uh you know hop wilson and you know it could just go on and on and on of course you have johnny guitar watson you got albert collins you got clarence Kate mouth brown those are more of the well-known ones but mercy baby is one of my favorites from dallas mm -hmm. they're real obscure guys but very important people to texas blues i mean uh, a guy like little son Jackson is super important. And Frankie Lee Sims, they were kind of the next guys after blind lemon Jefferson in a way, you know? Yeah. No, it's, I mean, you can dig in the blues. My wife is a massive blues fanatic and she, well, it's a rabbit hole, you know, as your oh, wife knows, you just, I you mean, just go down and keep going. Doing this podcast, it's like I have to dive into all this stuff, and I go down all these rabbit holes, and it takes away practically all of my time because I have to do it. But right. I, I don't have to do it. I want to do it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's fun. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a blast. Okay, let's keep moving with the blues. Let's move over to Lightning Slim. Um, 19, okay, so f first of all, I couldn't find this record anywhere online. Uh, I tried. Right. I tried. I tried calling record shops. I could get a vinyl. I tried everything I could do to, to be able to listen to it. And then I found out that I could just listen to the singles uh, on right. YouTube. So I figured out that the arrangement of the tracks, and I listened to it in order. And right. um, you know, Otis Various Hicks—that's his real name. Otis Hicks. Yeah. I mean, um, he 
you know, this stuff was on the Excello label and I picked Lightning Slim, but I probably could have picked Lazy Lester or, 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 you know, Slim Harpo, you know, those guys were all on Excello. They all came out of Louisiana and they recorded outside of Lafayette in a place called Crowley, Louisiana. And, uh, the, like you said, you, you couldn't find, you couldn't necessarily find this album. Um, but it is just a collection of singles that were on Excello. So, uh, all of those guys' albums were, after the fact, uh, they, they were a collection of singles. They were never recorded as albums by these guys. So um, at a certain point, I think in the 60s, um, they issued albums, Rooster Blues. Oh, see, I need that right, right there. That's, I need uh, that one. Uh, there were two that when we were coming up playing blues in the – 80s and the early 90s there was two records you had to have of lightning slim and it was rooster blues and it was bell ringer uh-huh i saw that one so too. those were the two i mean i chose rooster blues because it's the one i listen to more uh, i like some of the songs you what? know just has my favorite stuff on there but um those albums have the worst album covers <laughs> <laughs> but they're so they're so bad that they're great. Like I love these album covers, but they're just so they're so bad they're good. But I, you know, when I think of Rooster Blues, I think of the blue album with the little rooster on top sitting on top of some acoustic guitar. It's all hand drawn. It's, it's iconic. It's totally iconic, and it's very simple. It and it reflects the music in a sense because the cover is so simple. It reflects the what's inside, which is. You know, uh, Light and Slim had a very definable style, and his voice was like from another world. And the arrangements and the instrumentation that they used was very sparse. Um, and they had a certain production style to it. And so there's just something about these Accelo records that were made in Louisiana by these guys that just don't sound like anything else. And they're, they're dance records a lot of times, you know, yeah. you know, in Texas and Louisiana, you know, we play shuffles and we play dance music. We're playing for dancers. And I don't care if you're a blues band or a country band, you're playing for dancers down here. And I think that's what separates us from other regions. Like as far as uh, maybe Chicago blues is different from Texas blues in that sense. Not that they don't dance in Chicago, but strictly in Texas, you're playing a lot of shuffles for dancers, just like, you know, the country artists were uh, playing shuffles for dancers. So uh, Light and Slim, Rooster Blues, you know, the, the title track itself, Rooster Blues, which I actually covered on West Texas Blues kind of as an afterthought. I mean, I threw it in towards the end of the session. I know you did. <laughs> and uh, I, I had never uh, really done that song. You know, I've listened to it my whole life but I, I thought well hey let's do it because i love it and it's a great song because you know um the way they wrote music in louisiana for blues these guys that i mentioned lightning slim and lazy lester and slim harpo they were very influenced by country music i think and their songs tell a story and they're very uh very well crafted lyrically and so like Rooster Blues, uh, I don't think you'll ever find another blues song that talks about, you know, pink, pink alligators and, and, you know, uh, little green frogs and big black cats. Like it's, it's, it, it, 
was it uh the mouse was a little gray mouse oh, the little gray mouse and it's it's a wonderful story song it's so interesting and and lightning slim delivers it so low down uh, but all these tracks on this album like there's some great slow blues on here some of my favorite slow blues ever like my starter won't work this morning uh, so and who, so who can't re- who can't relate to that i mean and um gi slim is a song another slow blues and it starts off uh here's to all you young chicks and grown-up hens yeah, i, I want to tell you about where right? i've been yeah the imagery is so amazing tomcat blues so i love um i picked rooster blues to kind of represent you know that area and those artists um but it's absolutely one of my favorite albums of all time and lightning slim if you're not hip to lightning slim the thing i love about spotify right now is that you can actually pick an artist and then go to their radio so it does that kind of pandora thing right that's like the next thing when i'm in that mood and i need that kind of that thing yeah that he that thing that i can just kind of do that radio thing for him haven't done it yet but i'm hoping it will it will satisfy what i'm thinking well, it's funny. We want to think that Spotify and Apple Music and stuff has everything in the world on it. And then you realize it, it does doesn't. Not. Like, um, And a, a lot of the stuff that uh, we listen to as blues players that have been doing it a long time, you know, it's really a lot of 45s. And so yeah. um, we get turned on all the time by these obscure 45s that I've never heard. Jimmy Vaughn did it to me the other day. And I was like, who's that? And he was like, oh, you don't know about this guy? And I was, so it was just an old 45, but I had never heard it. And I thought I had heard everything. So, <laughs> you know, uh, you still have to go to YouTube a lot of times because every, I, I do think everything is on YouTube at this point. I do you know? too. There's no doubt about that. Now, so anything else about lightning slim before we move on because i'm i'm really excited to talk to you about um your last record yeah well i think i think we wrapped it up with lightning slim i mean he was just fantastic he ended up moving to michigan i talked to a guy the other day that played with him for a while in michigan and it was amazing because i think of these guys as such iconic you know legendary people and then you you talk to people that knew them and maybe played with them and you realize that they didn't have much you know these guys they're such legends now but at that time lightning slim was playing some little club every sunday and this guy johnny nicholas the musician was telling me about it he used to play with them said they used to go over and have barbecue every week and then they'd go play the little club and you know i mean that's lightning slim to me that i'm like lightning slim's playing some little club and you know Flint, Michigan. One time my, my wife told me that she was, when she first moved to town, she and her twin sister are like blues fanatics. They went down to Anton's and were sitting there by the bar. They're like, God damn it. When is junior Wells going to get up and play? I mean, right. come on, you know, why is he making us wait? Anyway, uh, all of a sudden he heard, she heard this like, Whoa. she just heard this harmonica yeah. and stuff. She's like, what, what, what's going on? He was sitting there right beside her. All right. <laughs> And before, you, that's how you started this show. Yeah, those guys. Did I? Do you have time for me to tell you my Junior Wells playing with Junior Wells story? I would love to hear that. Well, I was living in Dallas at the time. I was not playing organ. I was playing guitar. 
And Lucky Peterson, the great Oregon player, and he's also a great guitar player, called me one day and he said, hey, I'm supposed to play uh, tonight in San Antonio with Junior Wells, play guitar with him. Can you go down there with me? They've got a ticket. You know, you go to Love Field, get on the plane. Because this was late in the afternoon when he called. Right. So sure enough, I flew down in San Antonio, got to the gig, and it was Junior Wells and his his band from Chicago. <clears throat> and um, they were waiting for Lucky Peterson to walk in. Of course, I come walking in, this little white guy. This was an all-black Chicago band. And these guys were very tough. You know, they were street guys, <laughs> you know. And they, they weren't fooling around. They were tough people, you know. Great musicians and tough Chicago guys. And um, they had a guitar player that was playing. It was supposed to be a two-guitar thing, I guess. There was a special guest, Lucky Peterson. So anyway, I came in, and um, I remember when we set up and we started off, and the other guitar player had been drinking so much that during the day, I guess, that he fell over behind his amp and passed out for the rest <laughs> of the show. So I was the only guitar player in the band at that point. And, you know, Junior Wells, we played an instrumental. That's when the other guitar player fell over and was gone after that. And then it was time to intro Junior Wells with Messing With The Kid. And they said, start it off, you know, here we go. And so we were off to the races, you know. And so after the gig, they said, well, Junior wants to see you, you know, he wants to pay you. And so I went out back and he was in this little shed kind of thing. He was sitting there and he had his derby on and just dressed to the nines, you know, and that's junior Wells, you know, the, one of the toughest people you would ever, ever want to see or meet, you know, <laughs> the real, real, real thing, you know, and I was just the littlest white guy ever, you know, that, that wanted to play the blues. And, and uh, he came in and he said, he handed me a wad of cash and he said, you did a good job tonight, you know, and uh, thanks. And then I left and I got back on a plane and flew back to Dallas, you know. And I'll never forget it, you know. I'll never forget playing with those guys and playing with Junior Wells, you know. What a great story. It, yeah. Love it. Uh, but anyway, so, so on to the next one. Yes. So now I know that you are buds with uh, Billy Gibbons. Yep. This, okay, so ZZ Top. When I was a kid, I, mean, I remember in carpool going to school and there was this one dude, I forget his name. I remember his last name was Peacock, but he would always say ZZ Top is awesome. And right. I, I never understood it until like the past like five years. I finally, I was like, oh, wow, I get it. Because I have a lot of people that tell me their top five records are, are say like Joni Mitchell. And I, I just don't understand that yet. I, I'm not saying, <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I, I don't, I, I don't get it yet. I'm not saying I right. never will. I'm just going, I'm, I'm trying, I'm trying. I've had multiple people ask me that or tell me that Right. anyway, but ZZ tops a different story. I mean, those guys, and I know, you know, way more and I can't wait to hear stories, but I, so here, here's, uh, I'm going to show you this. They, nobody else can see this. Do you see that? Oh yeah. I see it. I know what those are. Okay, so he plays with sevens. Is that correct? That's absolutely true. No joke. That is crazy. 
Well, what's crazy about it? Now, of course, he didn't always play sevens. I don't know when he switched, but uh, he's been playing them a long time. And uh, it's, it tells you what an actual phenomenal touch he has. Yes, and, for sure. And, and, and I'll tell you, because if anyone else picks up a guitar, like his guitar strung's, strung up with sevens, when you just touch it, it goes out of tune. The string bends a certain amount just touching, the, <laughs> just touching it because the strings are so light. And so to see Billy play ZZ Top songs and play all this fierce boogie-woogie and amazing leads on sevens, you know, the, the touch that he has is so, it's feather light. You know, his hands are, are, are so well executed. You know, I, I mean, I, it blows my mind that he can do it. What does he play through? What amp? Oh, you know, he plays through magnetones now, but uh, like I always say, you know, whether it's Jimmy Vaughn or Billy Gibbons, guys that I've seen firsthand, Steve Miller, other people that I've played with, it, you know, whatever they plug into, they always sound like, you know, Themselves. Billy Gibbons sounds like Billy Gibbons. You know, it doesn't matter the amp or the guitar. I, I We played a gig in Fort Worth once with me and Billy, and he didn't have a guitar, and he, we walked into Guitar uh, Center, and those guys, <laughs> those guys started salivating, thinking the amazing vintage guitar they were about to sell Billy Gibbons, you know. And uh, Billy said, well, what's the cheapest guitar you got? And it was a Fender Squire Telecaster. And he said, okay, I'll take it. And then we started walking out and he actually saw another one that was even cheaper. It was a, you know, some other Fender Squire that just happened to be somewhat cheaper. He's like, oh no, I'll take this one. So he bought that, the cheapest Fender Squire they had and played it and played it and played it on the gig that, that night. Off the rack with, you know, he had sevens put on it, but nothing changed and he sounded amazing. Uh, yeah. He does. So, and so what I love about this album, okay, well, for starters, it's uh, Deguelo. Is that how you say it? I say Deguelo. 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 Okay. So it, it basically means decapitation or. Well, I understand it as no mercy, you know. Or it, no quarter, right? And it, they play the song Deguelo. Uh, basically, they did that at the Alamo. Uh, you know, it's a Mexican song, Deguayo, and that's basically we're about to come get you, and there's going to be no prisoners taken. Yep. And uh, before this, like they had been touring like nonstop, apparently. And right. I, I just watched the uh, ZZ Top like documentary on Netflix. Oh yeah, that's a, um, such a great documentary. It, it's, it was. It, they don't cover it as much, but they do talk about the point how that uh, he and Dusty Hill, they all decided, hey, listen, we need to take a break because um, uh, Beard needed to go into rehab, blah, 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 all right. that stuff. But yeah. little note, unnotes to both of them that they both came back. They just decided they were going to be lazy and not shave their beards. And they came back with these long-ass beards. And that's <laughs> when the right. image started. And then the whole, like, you know, Eliminator and all of that stuff. And then it, that's when they, they, they gained yeah. that that image of being these people. And I went to go see them. I don't know if you were playing with them at uh, Moody theater, but it was probably like five years ago is my guess. No. Yeah. I've only played with ZZ top, you know, uh, I played with him in Las Vegas and I played the Montreux jazz festival with him twice, but I've only played with ZZ top three times. Well, you know. regardless um, that it's, 
that whole image because when I was watching them play, I was I was like, I can't see their eyes. I can't see anything that they're doing. It's like this: they can age as much as they want, and nobody yep. really knows what's behind that beard and those glasses. Right, they're ageless. I, I heard <laughs> exactly. I remember they were we were backstage at at um, where were we? I guess we were at the Moody Theater. And someone mentioned that. I, I want to say it was Leighton, but I don't think it was. It was some, who was it? It was an older musician guy had been around and he said, you know, I always thought that was really dumb that they had that, you know, the beards and all that, you know. And then he goes, but now I realize the genius of it because they don't look any different. They still have exactly. the beards. That's my point. And he goes, you know, exactly to your point. That's exactly true. I mean, they are ageless to a degree. I mean, Billy just turned 70 this year. I mean, it's phenomenal, you know. Yeah, that that documentary is so cool. Like they're, I think they're at Green Hall when they they're cutting all that stuff. And they have those guitars that are all like like the side of a barn, right? It, it's it, I just I, I I just think they're so cool. So anyway, they're this, fascinating. This album, okay. Oh, I have another great story to tell you about about Billy Gibbons. Yeah. When I was a kid growing up in Houston, uh, like five or six houses down. Um, east of me was Billy Gibbons' mom, mm -hmm. and as like an eight-year-old kid, I was—I didn't even know who he was. Right. <laughs> I yeah, just right. knew he yeah. played in some band, and so we would go yeah. knock on the door and go, "Hey, can, is Billy here?" Of course, <laughs> he wasn't, but um, yeah. that's my my claim to fame with Billy Gibbons. Well, so many people, especially in Texas, have either met him, have a story about him, or have a story. You know how many degrees of separation is like one two he's gotten around he's you know he's a nomad and he's been everywhere and seems to know everybody i mean he's a he's a real he's a he's a special special person who has tapped into something that i think the rest of us can only theorize about you know mm -hmm. i think religions talk about it and i think you know, medicine men have taught, you know, there's something that's intangible that we all aspire to that Billy Gibbons has actually tapped into some way. And I've got a million stories that would let you know why that is. But he's a he's an in interesting person. Even he, I always say if he had never been in ZZ Top or ever played music, if he was a janitor, he would be the most interesting janitor in the world. <laughs> okay, so now you said you have a million stories. Can I just hear one? Oh God, to pick one. Well, well, here's one. When we were uh, we were on tour on the bus uh, with promoting his album Perfecta Mundo, his first solo record, mm -hmm. and so we had a band and uh, we were on the road and we were up near. I think we were on the outskirts of Chicago uh, and it was a winter tour. So it was cold and rainy. I can't, it might've been snowing. I can't even remember, but we had a band bus and then we had a crew bus and the crew bus broke down. And so, uh, you know, we were kind of waiting to see what was going to happen. We, we were probably on the side of the road two or three hours kind of waiting. And uh, 
Billy got up and we were, me and him were in the front and he pulled out a deck of cards and started doing card tricks for me. And I'm not, ta- I'm not, I'm not, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about like card mechanic, magician, sleight of hand tricks that you have to be a professional music, uh, magician to do, I think. And so he was, it was blowing my mind at what he was doing with this deck of cards. And so I asked him and apparently in the seventies, he, uh, they have a place in LA called the magic castle that a lot of the world famous, uh, magicians <laughs> and slide of hand guys, uh, you know, that's where they were out of. And Gibbons got in with these guys and they taught him all these different magic tricks and card tricks and things like that. So, you know, that's just one of the many things about Billy that you would, you would never know. I mean, he's a magician. He's a magician. I've got so many stories. I mean, the time he met the thousand year old man, in India. I mean, I could go on and on and on, you know, honestly, but <laughs> I love it, dude. I think I just, I, I love those stories. I really do. Well, um, he's a genius. I mean, I've, I, we, he's no doubt about it. He's a genius. He's an artist. He's a Renaissance man. He's someone who has dealt with fame. Unlike anybody else I've, I've really witnessed his level of fame. You, he cannot go anywhere. He's like Santa Claus, you know, it's like seeing Santa Claus, whether you're a little kid, an old person, somebody that's not even familiar with ZZ Top. People know him from that show Bones. They know him from ZZ Top. He's very recognizable. So when you go out with D- uh, Billy, and I've lived with him in at his house in LA for, you know, six weeks at a time or a couple of weeks or, you know, where I'm with him all day, every day. And when you go out in the morning, if you're going to go out running errands and you have things to do all day long, every day, people are coming up to Billy and wanting an autograph and want a picture, you know, which sounds great. Why wouldn't we all love this? But you realize maybe the 50th time it happens in a day or the 30th or the 35th and you're trying to get stuff done, you realize how really annoying it is. Yeah. But Billy never gets annoyed. And matter of fact, he enjoys it. He'll pull out his own phone and start showing people's pictures of things he's done. He loves to learn about people. So how he's dealt with fame is it's not about him. It's about the people. He's genuinely interested in people. He likes to talk to people. And as, as fans, you know, he talks to people that can't believe they're meeting Billy Gibbons, but all of a sudden they find themselves talking about their family vacation that they're on and what they've been doing. I mean, he puts you at ease, you know, those kind of people are the people I want to be. Yeah, I know. Well, it's like, cause I mean, I see him, I see interviews with him, whatever, you know, it's just, he's, he, he appears to be so laid back and, but it, at the same time, so well-spoken, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah. He, well, it's true. He's one of the smartest people I know and he has an image he's, they've developed and, and cultivated an image of, you know, beer drinkers, hell raisers, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you know, that little old band from Texas. But when you know Billy, you know, he has the demeanor of, a, of an English butler or something. <laughs> you know, he's so well-spoken and such amazing vocabulary and is so well-traveled and so well-read and it could speak on almost any topic. Uh, and then he can, uh, you know, pick up a guitar and, you know, 
do I'm bad, I'm nationwide. I mean, who can do that? Who can be all those things? Well, only Billy Gibbons can, can be all Which those things. Which is my favorite song of all times. I just told my band, I was like, this is what we're playing next because we've got two lead guitarists and so they can just boom, boom, back and forth. Right, yeah. Well, That's I mean, we get to, we, we could talk about ZZ Top all day and we could talk about DeGueo, just this one album all day. I mean, uh, well, you go back. Okay, go ahead. Here's what I'll say about Billy Gibbons, though. I feel that, so I like to play this game. It's called, uh, of course I do, because it's top five records, but top five vocals and top five guitars. Uh, You hear one note of a vocal or a guitar, and you're like, okay, I know who that is. Billy Gibbons is one of those for me, as is Willie Nelson. Yeah, well, he certainly is. I mean, also the thing about Billy, he has about, he's such a great singer and he can change his voice. I mean, listen to ZZ top songs, you know, his voice is not always the same, you know, he sings in different voices. Yes, he does. You know, and uh, he has such great control over his voice, but Billy, um, you know, we talk a lot about Billy, but, and for good reason, but uh, you know, Frank and dusty, Dusty Hill and Frank Beard. I mean, it's really those three guys. These three guys came together and, you know, it's like the Rolling Stones. It was just the right personalities and the right musicians that knew how to play with each other. And if you take any one of those guys out, it just is not the same. I mean, I've played with Billy uh, where I've had to play bass, Matt Sorum, the drummer from Guns N' Roses. We have a little trio we do. And I mostly play organ, but sometimes I have to play bass uh, on certain songs. You just can't do it, you know? Yeah. And um, I have so much respect for those, for Frank and Dusty. And Dusty, I think a big key to ZZ Top Sound is Dusty's bass playing and when you listen to a lot of zz top songs you know dusty has those motorboat fingers those two fingers or three fingers just go and a lot of zz top songs have that bass line if it's a and that's what makes it not sound like a blues song because a lot of times billy's basically playing blues but what dusty's doing is going you know and there's something about that sound and I've tried to, I've had to do it on bass and it's fucking impossible to do it on bass. You know, you have to be Dusty Hill. You can, nobody else can do it and it, for it to sound correct, you know. So Frank Be- and Frank Beard on drums, just the most amazing drummer. I mean, those guys came up at idolizing a group like Cream, you know, mm-hmm. those power trios, you know, Jimi Hendrix experience, the trio. And they kind of came out of that and kind of came out of blues and rock and roll and it became a really unique thing and frank beard what he plays on zz top records is always usually very unusual and very happening you know and very solid i was <laughs> you're stealing my words <laughs> so oh, i yeah. say solid i mean that's what he Absolutely. does right anyway. yeah he's a rock you know that's okay so we're, we're coming up on some uh, on time here but i, I want to talk oh, yeah. to you a little bit more right now so I also know, so one of my dear friends is Rosie Flores. She's also a guitar teacher of mine. Yeah. I understand that you played on Simple Case of the Blues, which I love. Oh, that I played on it? Yeah. 
yeah, I did play on a track or two. I can't remember exactly what it was. I just went in. Charlie Sexton was producing it, and Rosie had asked me to play on it, and which I actually never do. I think maybe that's one of the couple cases where I've gone in because I don't overdub. Case of the blues. I don't. Yeah, I don't like to overdub. <laughs> I don't like to overdub on anything. I like to play live in the studio. So I, there's something about being out there and having people behind a glass listen to you overdub a part and then go, okay, well, that was pretty good. Now try, try this on this and try this. And I, that's not the way I think about music. I just I do it, it live. I dig it. And I want to I play with the other musicians. I want to hear what they're playing and I want to respond. So I'm not really an overdubber, but I did, I did do that for Rosie. Um, and you know, I love Rosie. She's fantastic. And that was fun to do, you know, she just and, and, told me the other day that she's moving back to California. Well, I mean, everybody's has to, the music business is, I, you know, I, we could do a podcast on just that obviously, but you know, guys and people in the music industry now, uh, I, there's no way to make a living. And I don't think we see a one away coming up. And I'm talking about a real living that, uh, you yep. know, pays the bills. So, you know, people are moving. They have to move. There's, you know, we can't get paid for our records anymore. Everything's streamed. Uh, they said, well, you, we're going to stream your records for virtually free, but you'll play live and that's how you make money. So we did that. Now we can't play live. Right. And now people are live streaming on social media. And now I heard Facebook is saying maybe you can't even do that. So, I mean, I don't know, I guess they just haven't left anything left for us to do. And it, not that it's anybody's fault. It's just the nature of it. But uh, I, I'm sad to hear that Rosie's leaving, but I'm not surprised. Right. Well, so let's go back to your West Texas blues album, which I think is just so incredibly epic. Um, I love, you talked to me before this, before we started and that you did all of those vocals live. I'm, I, yeah, I'm blown away. I had no really? idea that you could sing like that, and I'm not really considering that an insult. Well, Please don't. Well, I haven't done it before. I mean, the Drifter. I wrote all the records, all the songs except the song "The Drifter," which was by Gatemouth Brown. I wrote those songs for other people to sing. You know, I didn't sing on the Drifter album at all. But live, I, I've always mainly since I started playing with Jimmy Vaughn, and how that worked was. Back in the very, very early days of Antones, Clifford Antone wanted me to be a singer. And I did not want to be a singer. I was in a, a group uh, of the younger people. Sue Foley was there at the time. You know, it was Sue was playing. That was Clifford's, you know, he loved Sue Foley and she made her first couple records there. And then the other kind of the, the kids, you know, besides Sue, it was like me, Johnny Moeller, Jay Moeller, a guy named Paul Size. And we had a little group and uh, we had to sing. And so basically I was forced to sing in a way. And so I would sing and but Clifford always liked the way I sang and wanted me to be a singer. And I just did not want to be a singer at all. And so I just wasn't. And so many, many years went by. And then when Jimmy Vaughn started playing with me, we, we started up in the gallery doing instrumentals, you know, cause that's what mm -hmm. I was doing up there with Frosty. And so, but people came up to see Jimmy and of course they wanted him to sing a few songs. And he said, well, I won't sing 
unless you sing. I'll sing a song if you sing a song. So in order to get Jimmy to sing, I would have to sing. So that's when I started singing again. So that was probably 10, right. 10 years ago. And so when we go out on the road with Jimmy Vaughn band, it, you know, I probably sing three or four songs in that show for the Jimmy show. So, you know, and then when we play at Sea Boys, we go back and forth. So I've been singing a long time, but I've just never recorded any of it, you know? Well, it's, it's awesome. And you should be very, uh, I hate to say proud of yourself. I, that sounds so demeaning, but you should be, you should be, you should be humble, but, but proud of the fact that, that you can do it the way, the way that you do it. So. Oh, well, thank you so much. I mean, that's good to hear because uh, yeah, I haven't really sung on a record before. And it's what I wanted to do on that album was I wanted to sing songs. I mean, I've made instrumental albums, you know, I'm known as a player and but when you hear me live at sea boys i'm singing a lot so i wanted to kind of do that um and just do what we kind of do what you would hear if you came down to see us you know so i'd well, be singing in it. that situation you did it so anyway Thanks, everybody, man. everybody get out there please go buy the uh, the west texas blues album it's killer but you really should also go check out the drifter because the drifter has I, and I, I did not know that you wrote every one of those songs, but you've got Billy yep. on there. You've got Alejandro Escovedo. You've got yeah. Jimmy. You've got Kat Edmondson. That, yeah. That is another one. When I, once I got home, my wife was all pissed off at me because I came out here and listened to The Drifter for like two hours. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, yeah, that's a song. You know, it took me a long time to make that album. I wrote those songs for those specific people. So I wrote those songs specifically for, for them, you know, and, uh, uh, you know, that album runs the gamut from orchestrations to, you know, low down blues, you know, soul, but Gary Clark Jr. does a soul song I wrote. Um, oh yeah. He was on too. Yeah. Stop the world. I wrote that, you know, for Gary and, and the way you know, he because sings that, that was so epic. It was so good. The way he sings that. that like, well, right. yeah, he sings it. He has that falsetto voice, yeah. you know, and after that, in his own albums and career, he really started utilizing his falsetto quite a bit. But at that time, he had not really recorded his falsetto really in my, in my memory. And I really wanted to, um, and I knew he had a great falsetto. So I, I wanted him, uh, you know, I wrote that song for him to sing in that manner because I, I, he does it so well and he sounds so great on that song. Um, but it's not something that people had heard Gary do quite a bit, but he's, he's an amazing person. He can do, yeah, gosh, he could pull out a harmonica. He used to play drums with me. He's one of my favorite drummers. <laughs> you know, Gary would it. just come up and play drums. You know, he can rap. I've seen him freestyle rap a song. I remember one time he, he rapped this kind of song about me playing the gallery while we were in the gallery. We were just talking. It was all off the top of his head. I mean, he, he's an awesome. amazing uh, musician. Yeah. Well, okay. So l let's wrap this up. I want to know uh, where they can find you online. I have you at uh, MikeFlanagan.com. That's where they can find a bunch of information. I have you right. at Facebook, Mike Flanagan Official, and Instagram, Mike Flanagan. And that's F-L-A-N-I-G-I-N. Yeah. That's right. So it's two N's and two I's. It's, it's a really unusual spelling. Um, 
So if you get a letter off, you, you, you might get taken to another Mike Flanagan, but, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I've got a website and uh, on Facebook and Instagram and yeah, come, come say hi. You know? And once this COVID jackass gets out of our lives, then let's <laughs> go down to Sea boys and party down with oh. you and Jimmy Vaughn, because that's, that's one of my favorite shows in town. Absolutely. We're, we're just, uh, you know, we're, we're, sitting here in the barn waiting for somebody to open the gate and let us run wild. So, uh, you know, it'll happen. I'm, you know, I'm not too down and out. I'm actually kind of just enjoying the time off to be and, and, and doing different things. I don't think I would have made West Texas blues had, cause we would have been on tour all summer. That's what that's, yeah. we had, we were going to Australia and Europe and all that. So I would have never made that record. So, you know, I'm excited. We get to do some things we weren't planning to do. So, Me and you but both. we'll be back. Maybe we'll be both. back playing. You know? Yeah, we will. All right, my man. Hey, listen, I had, I, I say this about a lot of podcasts, but this was probably my, <laughs> my most favorite one. I had a history lesson today, so I appreciate oh, that. Wow. Shoot. Well, thanks for having me, man. It was yeah, a lot man. of fun to talk about these albums. Well, uh, you, you want to talk about different albums? You call me up. Let's do this. <laughs> oh, yeah, we do this. A, we could do this a lot, believe me. I love albums. Uh, that makes two of us. All right. Uh, thanks again. All right. Take care. I appreciate it. Thanks, Gunner. Are you kidding me? I mean, what a killer conversation. That was pretty much a history lesson to me. I'm going to say that that might have been my favorite podcast that I've recorded yet. So please get out there. Buy you some Flanagan music, man. It's so good. The West Texas Blues, just live in the studio, the Drifter. It's Go get it. So let's talk about where we can find him online. You spell his last name, F-L-A-N-I-G-I-N. As old Mike says, it's with two N's and two I's. So you can find him at MikeFlanagan.com. Again, F-L-A-N-I-G-I-N.com. Facebook, you can find him at MikeFlanaganOfficial. Instagram, it's just MikeFlanagan, F-L-A-N-I-G-I-N. You got the gumption, head on over to TheBigGunShow.com. Check out what my band is up to these days. You can also catch us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube with the handle of The Big Gun Show Band. That's the at the beginning, band on the end. And when COVID leaves us alone, come on out. Have some fun with us at our most consistent gig uh, at the Little Longhorn Saloon, a.k.a. Jenny's here in Austin, home of Chicken Shit Bingo. We play the happy hour on the first Friday of every month. Bring Grandma. She'll have a blast. I'll be back in two weeks, and then every other week after that, close your eyes. You're stranded on a desert island. What five records do you have? Till next time.